The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. I want to welcome you today to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which is located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCool, and I serve as pastor of Zion Primitive Baptist Church. We are a congregation of believers in the sovereign grace of God where families worship together through the simple practice of preaching, praying, and singing. If you live in this area or are visiting here, we would love to have you attend worship services with us. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. and every Sunday evening at 5 p.m. and the first and third Wednesday evenings at 6.30 p.m. I'm happy to note that our daily podcast is featured on Grace Alone Radio, which you can find at gracealoneradio.net. You can find the schedule on the website, and you can also download an app to your phone so that you can listen wherever you are. Grace Alone Radio is a 24-hour streaming service which carries the message of God's sovereign grace around the clock and around the world. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. That's near the intersection of County Road 49 and Alabama Highway 159, about 10 miles north of Gordo, Alabama, and about 8 miles northeast of Reform, Alabama. If you're interested in finding more sermons, you can go to our website at zionpbc.com, that's z-i-o-n-p-b-c.com, where you'll find all of our posted sermons as well as a link to subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our website which will update you every time a new sermon is posted. Today, we continue in our series on the book of Job, looking at the question of what about suffering? Where does suffering come from? Is God bringing all the suffering upon us that we experience in this life? We've already begun to see that that's not the case. In the book of Job, it was Satan that brought the suffering upon Job. God's role is as the keeper of the hedge. Satan's role is the afflictor of the brethren. Sometimes the suffering we experience is because of the fact that we live in a sin-cursed world. Sometimes it is the chastening of God. But generally speaking, we can't blame God for the tribulations of this sin-cursed world. Join us today as we continue looking at this issue of suffering and where it comes from. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. We praise Thee, O God, for the Son of Thy love, Lord Jesus, who died and is now God above. Hallelujah, Thine the glory, Hallelujah, Amen. Hallelujah, Thine the glory, revive us again. We praise Thee, O God. 
rest assured this, the Lord chastens His children. The Lord chastens us. We'll come back to that, Lord willing, but the Lord chastens us. You know, over in, uh, back in Romans, the seventh chapter, uh, I, I'm not going to read but one verse there, but notice if you read that whole chapter, Paul is talking about the sin that is within him, the curse of sin that is within him. And he says in verse 14, he says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. He said, For that which I do, I allow not. That would, what I would do, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. And he goes on to say in verse 18, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. And ultimately he exclaims, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? There is suffering sometimes results from the sin that's within us. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Uh, the Lord chastens us. I have experienced the chastening of God. I'm sure you have too. And let me just also say this about that. If you have any spiritual sense about you at all, in other words, if you, if you are born again and you seek the Lord's guidance on whether what you're experiencing is His chastening or if it's something else, if it's His chastening, He'll tell you. You know, my daddy never spanked me over something he didn't tell me why. <laughs> he never just grabbed me up and started wailing away on me. I said, Daddy, why? He said, don't worry about it. You know, he never did that. He always told me, our Father in heaven is a better father than even my father ever would be. He will not chasten us without telling us. Every time I've ever experienced the chastening of God, when I sought unto God, I knew what it was. I knew what it was. And you will too. Suffering sometimes results from the sin that's within us. But, but here's the kicker, guys. Here's the kicker. Suffering sometimes results from Satan's assaults. Sometimes suffering results from Satan's assaults. And here is where we find Job. Remember what I said? Satan tried to tempt God to afflict Job, but God declined as he always does. Now, God is active in his chastening of his children, but when it comes to the assaults of Satan, God is not with Satan on this. God is not helping him out. He is not. So let's, let's turn to one other issue here before we move on to what I really want to get to. We see where suffering comes from. What does suffering do to us? What does suffering do to us? Well, I want to, I want to deal with the negative first. <laughs> suffering does not work together for our good in general, okay? Suffering does not work together for our good. Romans 8, 28 is almost universally misunderstood by the world. What does it say? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Well, I guess that means that when the drunk driver gets in the car and he drives down the wrong side of the interstate and he hits and kills a family, that works for their good somehow. <laughs> no, it doesn't. COVID is not working for your good, child of God. You ask somebody who's been through it. Oh, wasn't that a... That was good for you, right? No, it was not good. Sin does not work for our good. The world would have us believe that God and Satan are working hand in hand, that Satan is a tool that God uses to afflict his children. That is not true, beloved. That is not true. The wicked sins of men, the wicked actions of Satan do not work together for your good. 
The word work together, the phrase work together in Romans 8.28 comes from a Greek word sunergo, sunergo, which literally means to be a fellow worker or to cooperate or to help or be a partner in labor or to be a co-worker. I want to ask you a couple of questions. Are God and Satan co-workers? The very name Satan means adversary. The very name, you know, my adversary is not cooperating with me. You know, if I, if I said Brother Buddy is my adversary, I wouldn't be saying it, well, Brother Buddy's my adversary. We're working together. You'd think I was crazy. If I, if I said Brother Buddy's my adversary, I'd probably do it with gritted teeth. Brother Buddy's my adversary. You know, that'd be the way I'd have. That's what happens when we have an adversary. They're working against us. 1 Peter 5, 8 says the, the devil, is the adversary, is out there uh, uh, seeking whom he may devour. <laughs> He's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. The opponent is not working with God for you. He's working against God and against you. So let me ask you another question. Does sin work together with the righteousness of God? Habakkuk chapter 1 and verse 13 says, Speaking of God, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil, and canst not look upon iniquity. Now, now don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean he doesn't see what's happening. And he doesn't know what's going on. But what it means is he's not going to touch it. He's not going to be sullied by sin. He's not going to, the only time that God himself was ever sullied with sin is when Jesus Christ became sin for us on the cross and God the Father turned his back upon his son and there was a break in the fellowship because God hates sin so much. He will not look upon it. He will not work with it. You see, that's how much God hates sin. We're told in 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. Some say, well, the Lord brought this temptation upon me. You know what James says about that? Let me just make it clear. In James chapter 1 and verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. We're talking about somebody like Job here, right? For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So there's some, there's some endurance, there's some good things about enduring temptation. But notice the temptation where it comes from. Verse 13, let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God is not touching evil. God is not touching sin. How do we get tempted? Well, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust. And enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin bringeth forth death. You see, does sin work together with God and His righteousness? Absolutely not. Well, maybe does the flesh work together with the Spirit? <laughs> you know what it tells us in Galatians 5, 17? The flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. When I, I've told you this before, but you know, when my mama or daddy or my wife even says, you're really being contrary today, they're not bragging on me. <laughs> they're telling me I'm not working together very well with them. I'm going against the grain. I'm going contrary to what I ought to be doing. Righteousness, and I won't go any further, but look in 2 Corinthians 6 sometime. Righteousness has no fellowship with unrighteousness. Therefore, they cannot work together. 
That's not what that means. In every verse on the issue in the scriptures, evil and good are juxtaposed against one another. We're told in Amos, hate the evil and love the good. We're told in Isaiah, woe to them that call evil good and good evil. That's what people are doing in the world today. They say, well, that was an evil thing, but it's working together for your good. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's against you. We've heard of so many dying of this pandemic, not working for our good. It's against us. It's against us. So what does that mean, you say, preacher? Well, again, if we have time, I'm going to come back to it. But you remember the song we sang as, a, as an opening hymn, All Things? You know what it's talking about there? All things work together for good. What things? He goes on to tell us in Romans 8, 29, for whom he did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called. Whom He called, them He also justified. Whom He justified, them He also glorified. What should we then say to these things? I hope you say hallelujah. Because <laughs> that's what we need to be saying. See, that's the things that are working for us. God is working those things for us. There are many things working against us. So what does suffering do for us? Well, it does work or exercise our faith and our patience. In James chapter 1, James tells us a little bit about that. Chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The word worketh there means to exercise it, okay? It means to... To, to work it in the sense like a muscle. Now, let me ask you a question. You know, people often say, don't pray for patience. God will send you tribulation. Well, God's not sending tribulation primarily. What is he talking about then when he says tribulation worketh patience over in Romans chapter 5? Well, when Mason goes down to the box, y'all know he's into all this exercise. He's, tr he's trying to stay in shape. I try to tell him round is a shape. He gets on to me about that. Anyway, we'll... That's an argument he and I have, but, uh, but if Mason goes down to work out to build up his muscles, not to get muscles, if he didn't already have a bicep, he couldn't work it. He couldn't exercise it if he didn't already have it. We're not, you know, some people try to get you to work it up within you, work up faith within you, work up patience within you, but you've got to already have it. And by the way, the way we get it is in the new birth. We get faith. We all get a measure of faith in the new birth. The reason some of us are more, I say us, some of you are more faithful. The reason some people are more faithful than others is they've exercised it more. You can let it atrophy. You know, if I never worked, never moved my legs or arms, they could atrophy and they'd be almost worthless. That's what happens to your faith if you don't exercise it. But notice here, you work... You work your faith, and that exercises patience in the midst of tribulations and trials. And by the way, sometimes I think people today, and I'm this way. I'm not. When I say people, I'm talking about myself. I mean, have you have you been have you been just astounded and shocked by what's going on in the world? I have at times. But you know what? You know what Peter says about that in First Peter four twelve. He said, "Beloved, think it not strange." concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice 
Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's suffering, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. In other words, don't be shocked. We hear about these. You know, I was down at church last weekend with Brother Mike Ivey. And during the prayer request service, I, I, there were eight or ten people spoke up. And of those eight or ten, at least seven or eight of them were talking about some friend of theirs or family member that had died of COVID. Be in prayer for this one who died, that one who died, this one who's at the point of death. And it's shocking to those of us that have not experienced that. But let me tell you, beloved, it ought not shock us. Don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial. This is to try you as, as though some strange thing has occurred. Jesus told us in John 16 and 33, in the world you shall have tribulations. But he also said something that, that, that is important. He said, but be not afraid. I have overcome the world. Patience is worked by suffering, but also sometimes suffering chastens and corrects us chastens and corrects us. This is part of the reason, I believe, that God lowered the hedge around Job. Job was prideful, as were his friends, as we've already discussed. And we'll come back to that, Lord willing, in a future message. But, but Job was prideful. And one of the reasons God, even though as great as he was, he still had some self-righteousness that needed to be dealt with. And so why did God lower the hedge? <laughs> I believe it was a way to Teach Job. It was a way to chasten him for his self-righteousness. The Israelites in the wilderness were chastened. Read Deuteronomy 8 sometime. The, uh, the book of Hebrews tells us that we should endure chastening because if we're not, then we're bastards and not sons. If, if the, Lord, the Lord loves his children and those whom he loves, he chastens. Oftentimes suffering chastens us. Now, as we bring this message to a close, in the midst of suffering, how does God play a role? What is God's role? How does he help us? I've said already he's not the afflictor. He's the helper. He's not the afflictor of the brethren. He's not the accuser of the brethren. He's the keeper of the hedge. How does God help us in suffering? Well, for one thing, he always sees us wherever we are. You may think you're abandoned, and you may be abandoned by all of your friends, by all of your family. You may see yourself as alone and without any friends or help in the world. But you remember when the children, the disciples were told to, to go into the boat and to cross the Sea of Galilee there to the other side, and Jesus stayed on the land, and he was praying there alone on the land. He was not with them in the boat, and they were toiling and rowing because a big storm had come up. You remember these storms we've had the last few days? It diminishes the visibility. Nobody can see what's hardly out in front of their face when it's a bad storm like that. And they were in the midst of the storm, and guess what? Mark 6, 48 says, He saw them. He saw them toiling and rowing. You remember when we, did the, we went through the book of Mark, there were three instances. There was one instance where Jesus got there too late, to heal that little girl of Jairus. She had already died. There was one instance where Jesus was asleep on the boat of the disciples. You remember that? <laughs> and, and there was no way he could help. He clearly didn't care, right? And then there was this instance where Jesus wasn't even with them. And you remember in every instance where he was getting there too late, we found out he was really right on time. When he was asleep on the boat, we found out that he really wasn't. <laughs> he was physically asleep, but he was right there to help them. And here... Where he wasn't there at all, 
He saw them in the midst of the trials, and you know what he did? He walked on the very thing they were most afraid of to get there, the water. They were afraid of drowning, right? You know, the, the world says, here's what you do if you're afraid of the water. You either sink or swim. You can drown or you can swim. Learn to swim. If you swam, swam lately, uh, Mason, I'm picking on him this morning because he's not here. Mason had to learn to swim to participate in one of those competitions. And he was telling me when he got back how tired he was. You know, there's nothing that will tire you out worse than swimming. I've been there. That's why I don't swim now. <laughs> if you're in the midst of a storm on the sea and you're in the water, what's going to happen? There's no way you're going to survive without a life vest, right? These, these disciples didn't know what that was. And the thing they were most afraid of, you know what Jesus did? He walked right through the water, right on top of it. And when you're with Jesus, you can walk on the top of the water too. When you've got your eyes on him, that's what Peter did. And when he got to looking at the wind and the waves, he sank. See, that's the better option <laughs> is to walk on the top with him. He's always sees us. He's always with us. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will help thee. I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. You read Isaiah 43, the first five verses sometime, and you'll see there's no place where he is not. He is always with us. And praise God, he will everlastingly keep us. See, that's what Romans 8, 28 is all about. Romans 8, 28, the comfort we take from that is not, you know, the puzzled fog of thinking, well, God's doing something here, I'll never figure it out. No, it's the, it's the absolute clarity of knowing what God is doing, which is He is ultimately saving us for eternity. In fact, He has already done it, and He puts all of those things in the past tense. Whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate. Whom He predestinated, them He also uh, justified. Whom He justified, them He also glorified. Isn't that glorious? He's, not, he's put them all in the past tense, including the future glorification. As far as God's concerned, we're already glorified in His mind. It's so certain to happen that it's already happened in His mind. You know, it's so certain to happen that we can already rely on it. And I want you to go back. We don't have time this morning. I want you to go back and I want you to read John 16, 33. He said, in the world you'll have tribulations. But what did He say? Be not afraid. I've overcome the world. How do you overcome the world? Through His resurrection. Go back and read 1 Peter 4 and verses 12 and 13 where he says, Be not, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial you're to be tried with. He said, But rejoice that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. What's he pointing us to? The resurrection. James 5 and verses 7 through 11 that ends up with that glorious thing about the end of the Lord. He's talking about suffering, he's talking about patience, and he says, You've seen the end of the Lord. What's the end of the Lord ultimately? It's the resurrection of all of his children. So what about Job? Let's finish up here. What about Job? He never falsely accused God, at least not in these two chapters. He gets a little off a little later on. But, but I want you to remember what seemed to comfort Job the most. What seemed to comfort him the most. Over in the 19th chapter, we've quoted it many times, but we're going to close out with reading it this morning. In the 19th chapter of Job, after his friends have accused him of having secret sins and have accused him of being a great sinner and accused him and tried to comfort him, but in so miserable ways, some miserable ways. 
He goes on to say in 19, he said, I may have erred. I'm sure there's something I've done wrong. But look at verse 23. Notice what seems to bring Job the most comfort of all. He says, oh, that my words were now written. Oh, that they were printed in a book, that they were graven with an iron pen and lead in the rock forever. What is he about to tell us? Something important. Is he about to tell us how we ought to act in order for the Lord to bless us? Is he about to tell us how we ought to confess some secret sin in order for the Lord's hand to come off us? Is he about to tell us how God works everything for good to them that love him? No, not in the sense that the world believes it at least. He says, here's my comfort. I know that my Redeemer liveth and that he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, You know, Job's suffering in this body. He sees his body deteriorating. He sees his body declining. The boils are horrible upon his body. He's scraping away parts of his body every day. He says, though after my body is destroyed, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. You know, child of God, if Job could have that hope with no access to the Word of God that we have today, how much hope ought we have? When the storms of life pounding on your little house, when everything's falling apart, it seems, when nobody cares for your soul, you just remember, the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercies. He loves you with an everlasting love and has drawn you with cords of kindness and love. And He will not leave you nor forsake you no matter what happens. And one day, if the storms of life overturn your boat and you drown in the sea, He won't leave your body in hell. He won't leave your body in the depths. He will bring you home to be with Him. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.